Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast designed exclusively for speech-language pathologists who work with older students, grades 4 through 12. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, your SLP behind Speech Time Fun, the Speech Retreat Conference, and the SLP Elevate Membership. And I'm thrilled to bring you conversations, strategies, and insights that will give you the jolt of inspiration that you need. Whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, on a break in between sessions, or even during a well-deserved relaxation time, I am here for you each and every week. Let's do this, SLPs. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have Stephanie Boron from Be Me Speed SLP here to, to talk all about supporting neurodivergent learners. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited. It's my very first podcast, but I listened to a million of them. So I about time I was on one. Thank you for having me. Of course, tell everyone listening a little bit more about you and your journey to what you are up to today in the SLP world. Amazing. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the now and then kind of do a little bit of like history of how I got here. So I am a neurodivergent adult and a neurodiversity-affirming SLP. I recently joined the faculty at Northwestern, so I'm sharing all of that knowledge with future speech paths, which just brings me so much joy. But I wasn't always a neurodiversity-affirming speech path. I started the way most of us do, learning things through the medical model and, you know, thinking everything needed to be fixed. I spent a lot of my early career in a DIR floor time setting. I was in a clinic. I was in a school. And that really shaped the first part of my journey. You know, I learned to follow the lead of children. I learned to teach through play. I learned about the importance of relationships. That's kind of the foundation of those DIR floor time sort of models. And then, you know, I ended up in a public school and and I just started to engage more on social media with neurodivergent folks and with speech paths who were talking about neurodiversity. And I started to think, yeah, this is the way we should do this. This makes sense. You know, I think something always felt off about the more compliance-based work that I had done. And even though I was in that floor time world, I still worked on eye contact and I still worked on, you know, requiring them to engage in activities the way I thought they should. And now, you know, you know better and you, you do better. 
Um, so over the course of the last few years, I think, you know, I've used social media as an accessibility tool for myself and to learn from other neurodivergent adults and just to shape my practice for the better. So here I am. I love it. And I love what you're sharing on social media. That's how I discovered you because I am also constantly learning and growing and trying to do better myself because I too, in my career, only learned one model, one way of thinking. And it wasn't until it was brought to my attention that there's another way of thinking where I was like, huh. And then I found in the schools, I was the only one really thinking that way. That could be so isolating, right? That's really hard. So it's another beautiful thing about social media is I'm finding such a community there, a community of other speech paths that are trying to do this work and advocate, a community of neurodivergent adults, a community of parents who are learning that there's another way. It's been so healing for me as a woman who identifies as multiply neurodivergent, including autistic. It's been so nice to not feel alone anymore. Can you share a little bit more about your journey to diagnoses on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I actually was listening to your episode from last week, and I think it felt sort of similar to Adina, uh, fabulous episode, by the way. You know, I think as an adult, it was when I when I learned about my diagnosis. It wasn't until I had children and started to sort of see the way they processed the world and think about how they were taking in sensory input and started to think, oh, gosh, you know, like, that sort of resonates with me. And that's where I sort of pursued and learned a little bit more and eventually figured out the diagnoses that helped me make sense of how my brain works and how I show up in the world. And a lot of my journey since discovering that has been figuring out how to safely unmask, meaning to not pretend I'm being neurotypical all the time. You know, I think it's a journey. As I unmask publicly, as I fidget during work meetings as I let folks know when I need a minute to process, you know, before I come back to an interaction, whatever it might be, I think it shows, it destigmatizes, you know? And I think it's important that I'm able to show up for my clients too, my neurodivergent clients. I'm such a strong believer that neurodivergent kids need neurodivergent role models in their life. So I'm so proud to be able to do that. That is so amazing. And I love it that you're now sharing this knowledge with brand new graduate students who are brand new in the field and have so much ahead of them and, and just probably just even shaping the other faculty there as well. That's my hope. You know, I felt such a connection in the public schools with the kids I worked with and the staff that I worked with there. And, and I felt like I was making good change, but the idea of being able to have that larger reach and teach all of these graduate students who are then going to go out in the world and teach and advocate and share ideas. And they don't have to wait till 10 or 12 years into their career to kind of learn about this sort of stuff. They've got at least some foundational knowledge that there are other ways to think. There are models outside of the medical model, the social model of disability, the human rights model. You know, there's more to it than the basics, you know? So I, I feel very lucky to be able to do that. It's amazing that you're using your social media and this professor role to do that. Can you explain for everyone listening, why is this in our scope of practice? Absolutely. So, um, you know, are talking about sensory? Sensory, well, essentially regulation, just neurodiversity affirming practices. What, like, why should we be listening? Why should everyone be stopping what they're doing and paying attention right now? You know, I think at the core of it, the most important reason is that Disability rights are human rights. 
And when I think about our neurodivergent clients and by neurodivergent, it just talks about how there are many ways that a brain can be wired and there is no right or wrong way. There are there's diversity, just like there is other types of diversity in the world. So I think it's so important at that core level that we're looking at our role as advocates for human rights, you know, to be able to pause and think, why am I asking this autistic child to, you know, look at my eyes? Is it for them or is it to make their listener more comfortable? Okay, then you kind of start to think about like, oh, they're not showing up as their most genuine self. That's getting at their human rights. You know, we want to be able to advocate for care that supports their ability to show up in the world however they choose to as their most authentic selves. So I think that that really shapes my practice. And when I think about neurodivergent kids, neurodivergent adults too, but honestly, all humans, we are sensory beings. And as we take in sensory input in the world, it impacts how we're able to understand ourselves, how we're able to access the parts of our brain where our language system really lives, and how we're able to advocate for our needs in order to show up as our most authentic selves. So when I've got a kiddo who's dysregulated, my first step is going to be to pull back, to say less, because I know they're not processing language in that same way that they would be if they're regulated. I'm going to stay connected to them and I'm going to be their calm person, their regulated adult that helps to co-regulate their nervous system. And that in turn is going to help them to be able to come back into their body, into their brain, to access those higher level thinking skills, to be able to access their language system. So I think, you know, it's it's a big question to unpack, but at the core of it, it's it's all about helping them show up as their true selves in the world. So I know everyone probably listening is saying, okay, so if I'm not working on eye contact and I'm not working on talking on unpreferred topics, and I'm trying to think of some other, you know, no-no goals now, what can people be working on? What should, how can, should people be thinking when it comes to coming up with goals and ideas on with working with neurodivergent students? That's a great question. And I want to give a huge shout out to Rachel Dorsey, the autistic SLP. She's got a presence on Instagram and she has an amazing course on, on strength-based goals. And I think that was something that really shaped my ability to think about the why behind my goal. You know, so I won't, you know, give her secret sauce exactly, but you know, I think it really comes down to thinking about what is the intention behind the goal and is it serving that person? Or is it serving the listener? So again, with that eye contact example, it's such a classic example. Eye contact can be uncomfortable. It can even be painful for some autistic or neurodivergent folks. And everyone's different, right? But like, I think it's so important to note that like looking at a person's eyes, that's a, that's a neurotypical thing, right? And there's no shade to that. That's fine. But I don't need to make this autistic child look into someone's eyes for their listener's comfort. What I want to do is pause and think, how is this child accessing their world? Are they able to advocate for themselves? Are they able to tell someone, I listen better when I don't make eye contact. Please don't ask me again. You know, I think there's such power in being able to understand your brain and your body, to understand what it means to be autistic or or otherwise neurodivergent, to be able to put words to that. And I think that's a big part of our job too, is to help them understand that piece so that you can then advocate for your needs in the world. And that helps those kids to decide, like in that moment, if it's a safe place to unmask, 
they can use their language to self-advocate to say like, like I said, you know, I, I'd prefer not to make eye contact. No, thanks. I need a break. Like, let me go for a walk. I need quiet, like some quiet time, something. Advocacy is huge. Advocacy is such a big piece of my work. And I think it's a shift from what we were taught. You know, I think a lot of what I do puts my client in the driver's seat, whether they're little or big, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think kids, little kids are a lot more able to access these types of skills than we give them credit for. Even our minimally, our non-speaking or minimally speaking clients, there's a lot in there when we're presuming competence and we're putting them in that driver's seat and prioritizing what they need to communicate and be part of the world. Yes, even just my students, I was trying to teach them to just reject and like say, I don't want to do that. And that's okay. That's huge. And I think there's so much of the work that I do that's helping people on the team of the child, whether it's the parents or school staff, friends, peers, to understand that there's a lot being communicated underneath the words, right? So we have a lot of autistic kids who are scripting or they're using their body, a behavior, or they're leaving, whatever it is. And if you look underneath the word, they're telling us no in some of those moments, maybe, or they're telling us any number of things. But I think that that's so huge too, to be able to use our role to coach those around us to see how intentional these kids are in their communication and to honor those communication attempts, even if they're nonverbal, even if it's a script where you've unpacked the meaning around it, or it's a shift in eye gaze or a gesture, you know, it's, it's so meaningful. Have you had any kickback from staff, parents, administration? You know, I've been really lucky that I've had administrators that have been very open to these conversations and also aware that these are big conversations, long-term, paradigm-shifting kinds of conversations. In my last job where I was in a public school system, I was lucky enough to be part of an entire committee of staff and parents and, and some administrative roles as well, where we looked at neurodiversity. We looked at how parents understood it. We looked at how staff understood it, how kids understood it, and what we could do to raise that awareness of if even what neurodiversity is at a core level. And then in the future, there's going to be more talk about, you know, how to make those shifts in terms of support. But I think I was very lucky that I was in a place where there was a lot of that support. And parents, I think at the, at the core, they want their kids to live an authentic life, you know? So I have actually had very minimal pushback from families, questions, curiosity, but I want that. You know, I think it's our job to be a person that someone can ask questions to. Someone can disagree with. Someone can question. You know, if I can't explain the rationale behind why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I probably should rethink what I'm doing. <laughs> so yeah, really supportive. That's amazing. And that's huge in the being able to shift the thought process. And I love it that you're creating a culture within the school system to make these changes. And I love it not just the staff, but the students themselves. Like, that's huge. Your uh, a previous guest talked about that double empathy problem where you know autistic kids are spending so much time and energy understanding neurotypical communication, but it isn't a two-way street. There is very minimal conversation the other way. So a lot of my advocacy work too is sharing children's books that feature neurodivergent voices, that feature 
characters who use AAC devices, things like that, that bring that into the kids' lives. We did so much just play with communication devices when I was in the school, letting kids get their hands on one. I would fidget openly in the, you know, these kids get it. They'd ask me, Miss Stephanie, why are you using that? What's that ball for? And I'd say, you know what? It helps my brain and body. I need that to be ready to learn. And they were like, okay, cool. Um, so I think again, like the kids are so here for it. They're ready for it. If we are brave enough to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like even my daughter happened to be in a classroom where a student with the device was in there and I happened to go on a field trip with them. Mm-hmm. And the aide came up to me and was like, you know, she's really good with her. And I'm like, you know, that's what I do for a living. Like, you know, it's not, it's not that, it's not that. <laughs> but kids are curious and they want them to be inclusive. And we have to just have that open dialogue to explain what is just going on. Can you share some of your favorite storybooks that you have used to introduce these? So some of my favorites, I, I would say all of, I think all of my favorites are written by or in some way created by neurodivergent authors or illustrators, which I think is huge because you really want to think about, you know, nothing with about us without us, right? We want to make sure that we are capturing the voices of people who have actually lived these stories. So some of my favorite books, I'll give you a couple for adults and a couple for kids. One of them that came out very recently by a, another social media influencer, I don't know, I'll call her an in- influencer because I think she's amazing, uh, Fidgets and Fries. She recently wrote a phenomenal children's book called A Day Without Words. And it features a non-speaking child who uses a device and it is beautifully illustrated. And this, it, the story is fantastic. I recommend everyone get their hands on it. You know, I guess another story that I love that that I don't hear talked about very often is called My Autistic Mama. And it's written by Kathy Hershey, illustrated by Chloe Greenberg. And it's such, again, a beautiful story where on each page it talks about from a child's perspective, what it's like having an autistic mom. And it's it's lovely. It's like we stim together and it's like there's a page where they're they're eating their safe foods. And it's just like so raw and so true to this person's authentic artistic identity. And I just think it is so incredibly beautiful the way it shows that different way of connecting. I love it. We're going to put links to these books in the show notes. So not to worry, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And I would just give a shout out for adult to one of the newer books that came out, I'll Die on This Hill. By not an autism mom and autistic typing. I love giving uh, Instagram shout outs. Fantastic. And I always love Uniquely Human by Barry Barry Prasant as well. I love it. Uniquely Human. I'm writing these down. So we're going to make sure they're going to be in the show notes and not to worry everyone. Don't like drive off the side of the road or anything like that. When you get to where you are, head to the show notes and they will be there. So not to worry. Always looking for new books to add to the library, right, everyone? I think these are great ones to have in your home and in your classroom and just to like have around. You know, I think kids are going to be really, like I said, ready for it and curious about it. What advice would you give to SLPs to have that dialogue within their therapy groups when you had to have that those conversations? I think that's huge. I think the first thing I would say is like, it may depend on whether or not you are neurodivergent. So when I have conversations with my clients because I am autistic, I disclose that to them because I think that matters. And I talk about like the ways that I relate to them, things that, you know, sometimes the lights are too bright. Like right now you can't really see me all that well, but I have like one soft light on, no big lights in my house. 
I talk about, you know, what I, I talk explicitly about masking and I tell them what that means. I think consent matters so much when it comes to masking. Kids are required to mask all day long and it leads to autistic burnout and it is a problem. It is a mental health problem. So I believe so strongly that children should learn what masking is because sometimes, especially children with black or brown skin, they have to mask to keep themselves safe in certain situations. There's a lot to unpack, but I think, you know, giving them words for it and talking about what that means to be autistic and what it means to mask and what you need to do to care for yourself afterwards and when you don't want to mask and you can advocate for yourself and say like no that doesn't feel right or no thanks I I like to have a break you know it's all about autonomy and self-advocacy at the core of everything I do now if you're not neurodivergent that's okay you can have these conversations too I think you can still talk really openly about masking. You can still talk very openly about traits of autism and what you've learned from autistic adults about various life experiences, but also being like, you know, that's not how my brain works and that's okay. You know, we can still have these conversations. I think just destigmatizing because part of neurodiversity, you could, you know, when you're thinking about a neurodiverse room, that just means there's many different brain types in this room and that could be like a neurotypical SLP and their neurodivergent client and some peers who are a mixed bag of different brain wiring. So I think just destigmatizing it, talking about different brain types, just like it's different hair colors, you know, like it's just diversity and that's it's diversity is pretty cool. And I love it that we're talking about this as we are getting ready for back to school season when we're doing all those all about me type of activities and learning about we all have different strengths and weaknesses. We might be working on different goals. No one's going to make fun of each other. We're all going to support each other. And this, these are the perfect opportunities to have these conversations about how we're all different and that's okay. It makes the world go round. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I, th- I hope that this opens our minds other ways to talk about similarities, differences, you know, all about us. There's so much more than like our favorite food and our favorite color, right? <laughs> you know, we have to get deep in order for us to make a bigger impact. Like, yes, we need to know their their favorites that we can like incorporate into our, our lessons. But if we don't help them understand their, how their brains are working, that's key. And I, I want to say too, you know, you mentioned kind of back to school. And I think it's so important that we build that strong foundational trust with our clients, that relationship. Some of us are coming back to clients that we've known forever and we have that trust with them. And some of us are meeting brand new kids, you know, we're a brand new face. So I think you also have to build that relationship with them before you go to those deep places and you you show them that you're a safe adult. You show them that you believe that they're competent and that they are important and worthy of love and belonging. I love it. Thank you so, so much, Stephanie. Where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I am on Instagram, (laughs) as we've mentioned at be me speech. That's B-E-M-E speech. I am also an assistant clinical professor at Northwestern. So anyone in Illinois who's looking for neurodiversity affirming services, come my way. I'm also going to be starting a uh, neuro-inclusive playgroup focusing on advocacy, empowerment, and positive autistic self-identity for preschool clients starting in the fall. So I'm just very excited about that. So tell your friends, it's going to be great. That is so amazing. Congratulations on all of that. That's really, really amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I will have links to everything in the show notes, including 
your social media handles and all that fun stuff. I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are just fun and filled with lots of language. Right. What time is it when the clock strikes 13? I don't know. What time is it? Time to get a new clock. <laughs> As my children say, these are corny dad jokes, but I will keep them coming because you know what? Why not? Why not? <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephanie. Until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble and go check her out on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.